0: Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving.
1: 7 billion people in the world, we all have one thing in common. Every day, we all get dressed. Welcome to Dressed, the
2: History of Fashion, a podcast where we explore the who, what, when of why we wear. We are fashion historians and your hosts, April Callahan and Cassidy Zachary.
3: And I uh, told Mr. Lewis I really should be a sculptor. Mr. Lewis looked at me and said, Oh, Tony. Don't you ever forget what I'm going to tell you. You are a born photographer.
1: That's the voice of Tony Vaccaro. He recently joined me via phone to reflect on his prolific career as a photographer, which spans almost eight decades. The interview came about thanks to a bit of happenstance. I came upon an article on Tony's work in my local newspaper, It turned out that an hour away from my house, the Monroe Gallery in Santa Fe, New Mexico, was opening an exhibition on his work.
0: The whole photography as art, photography in a gallery concept is relatively new in the art world.
1: That's gallery owner Sidney Monroe.
0: And the last sort of segment of the photography world to gain recognition has been the photojournalist, the magazine photographer, the fashion photographer, You have the the sort of pioneers of photography like Ansel Adams and the Edward Weston's, that were really pursuing photography as art were the first harbingers of photography being seen in galleries, in museums, in a fine art sense. Tony, like many of the other photojournalists we've met, we often meet them when they're in their retirement period. They're in their 70s, they're in their 80s, Tony's case, he was in his
2: 90s. Tony turned 96 years old this past December. Gallery owner Sidney and his wife Michelle have represented him since 2016, and their exhibition, Tony Vaccaro Renaissance, ran through January. Opening in November of last year, the exhibition commemorated Tony's birthday and his creative renaissance. In 2018, Tony's work was celebrated in exhibitions in New York, London, Italy and Germany.
0: There's a freshness to the material because it has never been on the market before. A lot of the images or the places or the people have now, with the hindsight or the benefit of 30, 40 years, become iconic. And so there's a lot of contributing factors that make this an unusual opportunity that the work is suddenly available and visible, and people are like, my gosh, this is classic, this is iconic, this is historic. How come I never saw this before?
1: I have to admit, I too had never heard of Tony Vacato. But one quick Google search revealed to me just who I had been missing. Tony Vacato is a luminary a decorated World War II veteran and photographer who went on to become a renowned celebrity portraitist, a prolific photographer who captured and befriended a diverse cast of some of the most famous names of the 20th century. This includes Greta Garbo, John F. Kennedy, Giorgio O'Keefe, and Pablo Picasso. Oh, and he was a fashion photographer.
3: Uh, I met Dior. Uh, Not only I met him, he invited me to the house where he was born.
2: Tony's photographed the top models of the 1950s and the 1960s. I mean, we're talking about Dovima, Verushka, Carmen de and while working on the likes of magazines like Flare and Look, as well as Life and Harper's Bazaar.
1: And I knew it might be a shot in the dark, but I just, I had to try. So I sent an invitation to Tony to come on the show, and to my utter delight, Tony accepted. Tony, welcome to the show today. It is such an honor to have you with us.
3: It's a pleasure to be there.
1: A happy new year and a happy belated birthday to you.
3: Thank you. I'm glad you know it.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Michael Tonio Celestino Onofrio Vaccaro, known as Tony, was born on December 20th, 1922. He is talking to me from his living room in Long Island City, New York, where he lives and works. In 2015, at the age of 93, he opened his own state-of-the-art photo studio with his son Frank and his daughter-in-law Maria. When Tony isn't taking and developing his photographs, he's helping to organize his archives. So since retiring in 1982, he has been exhibited over 250 times. Tony, you've been a photographer for almost 80 years, and I'm hoping you can share with us. What first inspired you to pick up a camera? How did you come to photography?
3: It was uh, my teacher at high school, Mr. Lewis. Uh, His name was Bertram Lewis, an amazing teacher. He really liked me throughout my life, and whenever I was in trouble, he would straighten. Uh,
1: and was he a photographer? Did he teach photography?
3: No, he was. Uh, he, he he taught photography by himself. The school did not allow photography.
2: Tony met Bertram while a student in Isaac E. Young High School in New Rochelle, New York. But Tony had only just returned to America at the age of 16 because he had been in Italy since he was the age of four. Tony was born to Italian immigrant parents in Greensburg, Pennsylvania, but threats from the mafia had forced his family to move back to Bonifero, Italy in 1925.
1: Within months of arriving in Italy, both of Tony's parents had tragically died. Tony's sisters were placed in an orphanage and he just four years old, was sent to live with an uncle.
3: But uh, because uh, I lost uh, my family when I was four, I grew up with an uncle who was very abusive. He he and his wife didn't have children, and he had no idea what it was to have a child.
2: With fascism and World War Two on the rise, Tony used his American passport to leave Italy for America in 1939, stopping first at the U.S. consulate in Rome to verify his status as a U.S. citizen and also to make his travel plans to New York, where he would attend high school and meet the chemistry teacher who inspired him to become a photographer.
3: I'll tell you one story. I happened to go to Rome and I visited the museum in the vatican there is an incredible bust no legs no arms no head just a chest but uh, if you see that chest is incredible the, the muscles that, that this man uh, must have had you know whoever he was anyway i photographed this uh, this bust, and I was convinced that to express myself in life, I should really be a sculptor. So, I did sculpt uh, the head uh, of Lincoln. I don't know if you ever saw it. And I uh, told Mr. Lewis that uh, I really should be a sculptor. Mr. Lewis looked at me and said, Oh, Tony, <laughs> don't you ever forget what I'm going to tell you. You are a born photographer. Wow. And that was it.
1: And, and you picked up a camera and you haven't put it down since.
3: And I uh, went out, bought uh, an C 3, and that was it. Then, of course, came much better, the contacts, the Leica, like, uh, you know, and so on and so forth.
1: So at the age of 21, you were drafted into World War II. That was in 1944, and you served as both a soldier and a photo documentarian. And your experience and the roughly 8,000 photographs you took during the war were the subject of a 2016 documentary entitled Under Fire, the untold story of private first class Tony Vaccaro. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
3: Well, uh, when a soldier goes through the war, he kind of loses his mind because he knows that When you shoot at a German or whatever, we are not really French, Italian, German. We are humans. The whole species is made up of humans. And I learned this early in life, that when I was shooting pictures of somebody, I was shooting that of a human, and uh, and as you can see now, I am crying because I photographed so many humans, let's say, killed by bullets. I have seen hundreds upon hundreds of soldier enemies, and even ours. Standing there, suddenly a bullet comes through and they are down. War is a terrible thing. And uh, I am crying now because I have shot so many people.
1: Yes, but after the war, you vowed never to take another image of war and conflict.
3: Well, after the war, I had to make a living. Mm-hmm and I selected fashion which would take me away from the memory of war and shooting instead of shooting people, shooting pictures. It's almost the same thing. You use your index finger. Uh, The only difference is that photography is up and down, and shooting people is sideways, you know.
1: And um, you're a contemporary of Gordon Parks, who was, at the same time you were shooting Fashions for Life and other magazines, and he was a prolific photojournalist like yourself. And
3: He was a friend of mine. Oh, really? Yes, yes.
1: That's wonderful. We did an episode on him.
3: Gordon was a friend of mine. Uh, we met... Uh, uh, through uh, the initiative of Flora Coles at Look Magazine, uh, then she started the most beautiful magazine in the world, Flair.
1: And Gordon did fashion photography, and you know he was during his time criticized by some people for doing fashion because of its commerciality and its perceived fickleness, but he defended it. Because it was really a respite from the realities of the world because he was also photographing bigotry and prejudice and poverty that he experienced on almost a daily basis. So did fashion serve the same purpose for you after the war? Because to me, your fashion photographs are a celebration of beauty.
3: After shooting people and seeing them falling... And I cried all the time, but I had to do it. Uh, I came home, and uh, I just couldn't associate with anybody. Uh, when you shoot at someone and you see that someone falling dead, uh and it, it's, I was so lucky that it didn't happen to me. Many, I was uh, kind of scratched by bullets a few times. Uh, they, I came very close to be killed myself.
1: And yet through your fashion photography and through your photography after the war, you really found beauty in so many different places and facets of the world. And it's my understanding that when you took your first fashion assignment, that you had no experience. So this type of staged photography must have been very different. How did you become a fashion photographer?
3: I created my own style. And that's one of the reasons. I don't know if you know that man... uh, in the snow, lying in the snow, all white. Did you see that picture? I did, yes. That was a turning point in um, my life. I felt uh, that photography could be manipulated. And one way for me to manipulate photography was to make the pictures beautiful. And beautiful was attained by uh, lightening the picture rather than make them go dark. So that the picture that I have of the man in the snow really changed uh, my life.
1: The picture Tony is referring to is also his most famous. Entitled White Death, Tony snapped the photograph in 1945 in Belgium when he came across a dead soldier face down, his lifeless body almost entirely covered in snow. It is a haunting, heartbreaking photograph. Sid Monroe.
0: It is a very minimalist photograph, um, obviously, with the white snow and the, and the body being almost completely buried. The starkness of it, um, it really makes the viewer confront death um it has a strange beauty isn't the right word but it has a strange attractive quality to it because when you think of a lot of famous war photos there's a grotesqueness to it there's oftentimes you know the death is is very visible mm-hmm. uh, in this you can glance at it not quite not quite understand exactly what you're looking at until you really look closely. It could be almost an, an abstract image until you start to see this is a body buried in the snow. The fact that he photographed this person as, um, you know, as, as one of his brothers that he fought with, um, there's, a, there's a great personal quality to it.
2: After taking the photograph and clearing the snow, Tony realized that the fallen soldier was his comrade, Henry Tannenbaum
3: uh what was amazing here is that after the war uh, fifty one years later uh, the son of the men that I photographed in the snow when I photographed that picture, he had a son who was one year old when he reached fifty one years. He found out who I was, where I was, and he wanted to see me. And he said, can you take me to the spot where my father was killed? Tannenbaum was his name. So I said, sure. I happened to go back to that part of the world. If you want to come, I will take you where your father was killed. So we flew together back to Europe, and I took him to that spot. And when I arrived at that spot, it had uh, trees growing there. So I knew where the owner of that land was. I took him there, and uh, what was he growing? He said, I'm not just growing trees. I am growing Christmas trees that I sell in Portugal every Christmas. Can you imagine that? The name of the man that was dead, uh, Tannenbaum, means Christmas tree. Can you imagine
1: that? No, now I'm the one who's crying. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yes, yes, that's, that's the world we live in, you know. We, we are a sensitive. And thank God that we're not that I believe in God. I don't believe in God. We're lost.
2: Tony mentioned earlier that white death was a turning point in his photography. It also, rather ironically, ended up being his entry point into fashion.
1: After seeing the image, Tony heard from Fleur Cowles, editor of Look Magazine and the creative genius behind the short-lived fashion magazine Flair. Lasting only one year, the avant-garde magazine is largely regarded to have been ahead of its time, Emerging art and fashion in a formula that is de rigueur today.
3: Fleur was my goddess, so to speak. She loved my photography. She started a magazine called Flair after she saw my work, uh, this uh, image uh, in whiteness, you see. It was a new style in photography.
1: I believe she said something to the effect that, can you shoot fashion like this?
3: Yes, something like that. And I said, of course I can do fashion. And I uh, showed her what I could do, and uh, it was beautiful. Beautiful.
1: Absolutely stunning. And you photographed some of the top models of the 50s, including Davima. Yes. Carmen Dallorfice, who was quite young. Mary Jane Russell, I know, is a favorite model of yours.
3: Now, I have to tell you something about Dovima. Dovima, you know who Dovima left to come to me?
1: I do not. I have a guess, maybe.
3: <laughs> the, the greatest fashion photographer at that time. Who was it?
1: Richard Avedon. Exactly. Wow.
3: She left Avedon and came to me.
1: Wow. Tony is photographing fashion during the golden age of haute couture, when high glamour and sophistication reigned supreme. He used fashion to make beautiful studies in the contrast between black and white. This is clear in his incredible photograph, The Veil, taken of model Mary Jane Russell for Flair magazine in 1951.
2: But he also had this incredible way with color, such as his 1951 series for Look Magazine, in which he puts a fashionable spin on works by both Vermeer and also Rembrandt. But while Tony's photographs in many ways reflect standards in fashion photography of the era, there's also this kind of lighthearted playfulness and intimacy in his works
1: that is entirely his own voice. I mean, the intimacies of your fashion images are quite special. You have posed portraiture, but you also have snapshots of these women before photo shoots. that are really wonderful, and you can tell that they really pose for your camera with ease, and it's not faked. Yes, yes. There is a wonderful image of Devima applying eyebrow pencil in the mirror just before a shoot with Tony, and another of the glamorous Mary Jane Russell having just put down a glass of water between takes. My favorite, however, is a 20-year-old, fresh-faced Carmen de la Fiche on the beach from 1951. She's smiling at the camera, but I think we know she's really smiling at Tony. He really encouraged his models to be free and wanted them to be comfortable and at ease. But Tony was not just photographing models. And you've met many wonderful people, um, including Hubert de Givenchy, who passed away sadly last year at the age of 91. Were you... Friends with Hubert? Do you remember how you two met?
3: He was the assistant of a famous designer. What was his name? Famous name in fashion. He's the man who began fashion.
1: I know he worked for like Jacques Fath and Robert Piquet, Lucien Lelong. Somebody else.
3: I have his name at the tip of, <laughs> of my tongue.
1: It's not Christian Dior?
3: Tristan Dior We oui. <laughs> voila Voila Dior uh, Dior really started everything. Uh, I met Dior uh, not only I met him, he invited me to the house where he was born. At that time I was dating a girl called Dorothy Tristan. Uh, and uh, she came along, too, and met Dior.
2: Our listeners might remember from our Givenchy episode that Givenchy and Dior met sometime around 1946. And while Givenchy was never formally his assistant, Dior became somewhat of a mentor to him, encouraging him to gain experience at the fashion house of Lalong, and always, all the time, with the intention of
1: perhaps that Dior himself would hire Givenchy later. That, of course, would never happen. Givenchy opened his own house in 1952, and Tony has many wonderful images of the young dapper designer. He has Givenchy dashing out of a car. He has him in haute couture fittings with Eartha Kitt, and even lounging by the pool. You have this wonderful image of Givenchy at the pool, and he's taking a photograph of you, photographing him. Yes, yes. I think you guys posted on Instagram that you just found that photograph that he took of you.
3: yes. Now, that picture was taken in the farm, uh, far away from Paris.
2: Tony's portfolio is full of these intimate snapshots, be it Givenchy or Giorgio O'Keefe. It is clear that his subjects trust him and they like him and, and vice versa. Tony has many wonderful stories about his subjects, from meeting Sophia Loren while he happened to be wearing a bath towel, to photographing and walking his way along the Nile River in Egypt.
3: I was dressed warm enough, and I walked 46 days to go to Cairo. But then I went past Cairo. I went to Alexandria, Egypt. And who was waiting there? Colonel Nasser, the leader in Egypt. When I arrived there, he said, uh, my assistants told me that a crazy American was walking all the way along the Nile River and I wanted to meet him. And so I met Colonel Nasser. He introduced me to his wife, his baby, which was very rare.
1: But there would be one subject and one subject alone that would come to matter the most to Tony.
3: You know, I was lucky to have found this uh, Finnish model that I eventually, I married and had two boys with her.
2: When Tony met his future wife, Anya,
1: she was a model for the Finnish fashion house of Marimekko. You saw her in a fashion show in New York, and then that's where you met, right? And then you you went to Marimekko to photograph the designs for a Spread for Life magazine.
3: Yes, I went to Helsinki. I spent six months there.
1: Those fashion images are so full of youthful exuberance and play. It's now the 1960s, so things have changed a lot. Do you remember what your inspiration was for that photo shoot? You have that wonderful image of your wife on on the and those two other models on the logs. It's just like this wonderful juxtaposition of the Marimekko designs with nature.
3: Yes, beautiful. The, those logs, are beautiful. Those tree models going up. This I uh, went to Helsinki. And uh, Marimekko had uh, this stock of wood there. I don't know why. Uh, I guess it's cold there, so they have to keep warm. That's why uh, they had those. But at, at the same time, the stocks of wood is in such beautiful order that gave me an incredible picture those three models walking and those logs is a jewel of a picture.
1: It's absolutely wonderful. And there's a lot more images in that spread, too. You have a, bed out, a woman in a bed outside, you have women getting in and out of the lake. Yeah. So much life and joy in those images. For limited time dress listeners, you can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off by visiting rosettastone.com forward slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com forward slash today.
2: Dress listeners, we often refer to ourselves on the show as dress detectives, but what if we told you that you could travel back in time and solve your own fashionable mysteries?
1: So join us, dress listeners, in putting on your detective hats and escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android.
0: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net-carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.
1: The life you have lived and the places you have been and the people you have met uh, in your journey is remarkable.
3: Yes, yes. And now uh, I haven't finished. I have four years to reach 100. Wow. And because I I walk, I am very active, I think I will reach 100.
1: I have no doubt.
3: (laughs) Now I have to tell you something very interesting. I reached the age where I really need a cane. And uh, this cane that I have was given to me by Frank Lloyd Wright. Wow. And at that time, like 45 years ago, I said, I don't need a cane, Mr. Wright. Why are you giving it to me? He said, well, number one, I have many canes, so one cane is I'm not losing anything, but the day will come. Believe me, son, he used to call me son. Believe me, son, you will need a cane. And sure enough, I have one right here. (laughs) I have four, as a matter of fact.
1: (laughs) Which reminds me of one of my favorite fashion photographs of yours, which is the woman... Isabella Albonico, whose hat mirrors the Guggenheim Museum perfectly. Yes. And that wonderful image from 1960. Her hat's a mirror image. It's quite beautiful.
3: Yes, yes. It's, it's a, it was more luck than effort, actually.
1: <laughs> Those are the best photographs sometimes. Throughout the interview, I implore Tony to reveal more about his life as a fashion photographer, tidbits of information, anecdotes of his favorite models and designers. And what did you think of the fashion you were photographing, Tony? Do you remember? I mean, you were photographing fashion in the 50s, which is the golden age of haute couture, which is, you know, Christian Dior's heyday when all those luxurious fabrics and corseted waists and all that of that luxury that came into fashion after the war, you were photographing it, and quite beautifully, I must say.
3: Thank you. I did the best I could, uh... The reason I went into fashion was strictly for money.
1: In the world of fine art photography, Tony is not the first to turn to fashion photography out of financial necessity. He joins a long line of photographers such as Edward Steichen, Man Ray, and his friend Gordon Parks. But like Gordon, I think Tony found in fashion something he desperately needed after the brutality of war. Tony found beauty. One more time from Sid Monroe.
0: So he made a conscious decision in his photography to look for beauty and so that became a natural sort of entree once he started working in fashion he wanted the women to look exquisite he wanted the setting to look beautiful he was looking for the glory in humanity and it adds something to just the look of his fashion photography that he is purposefully looking for joy and beauty. So, you know, in, in a lot of the models that he worked with are, are, are similar or the same models that worked with Avedon and Irving Penn and some of the other great photographers of that era. But there's a different feel to Tony's fashion work. And I think it might be that pursuit of beauty and joy that he was really looking for
1: and something Tony continues to find in his everyday life.
3: Next time you come here, I will take you into my living room where there are maybe over a hundred pictures on the wall. Wonderful. Almost you don't see the wall. You only see pictures touching uh, an inch apart from each other.
1: That would be wonderful, Tony. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today and for sharing your gift with us. It was really an honor to speak with you.
3: I hope we meet sometime.
1: That would be wonderful. Good. Um, You you take care. I will. Okay.
3: Have a good day.
1: You too. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. And with that, I concluded my interview with a living legend. This was one of those once-in-a-lifetime experiences. Tony is one of the last of a legion of photographers who shaped how people saw and experienced many of the biggest events of the 20th century, a luminary who lived, breathed, and captured war and devastation and still managed to find the humanity, the love, and the beauty in this world. I would like to extend a sincere thank you to Tony for taking the time to talk to me and to his son, Frank, and daughter-in-law, Maria, for all of their help, as well as Sid and Michelle Monroe Gallery. You can find Tony's work at tonyvaccaro.studio and at monroegallery.com. Be sure and follow Tony's wonderful
2: Instagram that posts daily images at Tony Vaccaro photographer. And check out the HBO documentary Under Fire. That does it for us today, dress listeners. May you consider the legacy of Tony Vaccaro next time you get dressed.
1: For images accompanying each week's episode, please follow us on Instagram at Dressed underscore podcast. This is also our Twitter handle, and you can follow us on Facebook at dressedpodcast Podcast without the underscore. Be sure and tune in every Thursday for our new Fashion History Mystery Minisodes, where we answer questions from you, our listeners. We'd love to hear from you with your favorite fashion history questions, so email us at Dressed at iHeartMedia.com. For additional readings for each week's episode,
2: check out our show notes at DressedPodcast.com. And don't forget about our merch store at teepublic.com forward slash dressed. That's T-E-E public.com forward slash dressed. And as always, special thanks to our producers, Casey Pegram, Holly Fry, and everyone else at iHeartRadio that makes this show possible each and every week. Catch you soon. Bye.